Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Death Discussion. It is Monday night. It's the 27th of June. A week from tonight is Independence Day, the 4th of July. And we just found out they're going to do the fireworks over the lake, so we're going to take our kayaks out on the lake and watch them. Oh, well... I'm going to be here next week, just so everybody knows, for those people that uh, want to spend a little time with us, if somebody's got questions or whatever, but uh, I'm going to be doing some education stuff next uh, next Monday night, so uh, that'll be a little different twist along with uh, questions and stuff that anybody might have, but uh, anyway, you know, I've never missed a Monday night in seven years. We just started our eighth year, and I'm not going to make any exceptions now, so uh, we'll be here next week. But with all that said, I do need to do a disclaimer and tell everybody that, of course, as I said a moment ago, this is Dallas debt discussion. It's not a legal advice line. We discuss debt issues, consumer protection statutes that relate mostly to uh, uh, debt situations. But the one thing we don't do, can't do, don't have a clue how to do, even if we wanted to, is to give legal advice. If you want that, go find yourself a bar-licensed attorney. They charge a pretty good uh, penny for that in most cases, but that's where you're going to be able to get legal advice. And, uh, of course, the quality of that might be somewhat in question depending on which one of those attorneys you're talking to, but that's where you get legal advice. It's not here. If you hear us speak in terms of, well, you want to do this or you want to do that when we're discussing a situation, It's very simply the context that we're speaking in is this is what we would do if we were in your shoes or in a similar situation. We're not giving advice. We're giving a suggestion of what we would do if we were in your position. It's just that simple. Now, where does this knowledge come from when we say something? Uh, It comes from a couple of different sources. One, a lot of study and time spent learning. The other is practical experience. All of the moderators that you hear that talk in these calls, Terry, Jeff, John, myself, Jesse, if he comes on the call occasionally, we are all litigators. We all litigate in federal court, some of us more than others. We've litigated on various issues, but we speak from a fairly substantial amount of actual hands-on experience. So it's not, oh, well, you know, I read this out there somewhere. I think I found this on the web somewhere, and it sounds really good, so that's the answer I'm going to give you. You don't get that here. If we know the answer, we'll tell you the answer. If we're not sure, we'll tell you we're not sure of what we're saying. If we don't know the answer, We'll tell you we don't know the answer, and we will suggest a place where you might go or try and suggest a place, if we can, 
where you might go and find the information that you need. In other words, this isn't the BS line. This is the learn how to do it right place to find your information. And as I've said too many times to count, this is your call. This is not my call. I'm simply the one that makes it happen every Monday night. I'm the one that pushes the buttons, schedules the calls, so on and so forth. It's your call. It's about educating people. It's about people coming back together as a community and everybody helping themselves and helping others. And for all of the work and time and effort that we put in, when I say we, again, it's the moderators, uh, in doing these calls, not only this call, but Terry's call on Wednesday night, the open calls on Tuesday nights associated with Jesse's website, the only thing that we ask, because we don't charge for this. We don't get paid for this. Every single moment that we put into this is free to you and everybody else so that you can learn. The only thing that we ask in return for our efforts and time spent, the portion of our lives that we dedicate to doing this for you guys, is that you pay it forward when you have the opportunity, that you take the information, you utilize it where you can to your benefit, but most importantly, that you pay it forward, you pass it on, and when you find somebody that needs some help with something or needs information, that you help them with it. And when you do that and you come back and tell us about things that you've done to help other people, that's the sweetest music that we can ever hear in our lives is knowing that you are taking what we're giving and you're putting it to good use and you're helping others with it. Because everything that we do is all a matter of learning how to use something that's already there the consumer protection statutes, and the court system to enforce your rights. It's just that simple, only we're not taught that stuff in school. And do you think that might be intentional? Of course. So we don't have a classroom. Our classroom's on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights, and in Jesse's website, which is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unless there happens to be a outage once in a while. And whoever is making all the noise, would you please mute yourself? Um, but the uh, the bottom line is, this is all about helping people. It is about uh, conveying information. It's about learning. And it's not about giving legal advice. Now, we all start with good news, and then we'll go to Q&A. And by the way, when everybody comes on this call, you are unmuted. I ask you to hit star six on the keypad in your phone when you come on so that you are muted and we don't get noise like we just did from that caller. And uh, they muted, which is fine. All you got to do is hit star six. To unmute yourself, all you got to do is hit star six again. It is a toggling feature. It's back and forth. And once we're done with good news, you can raise your hand to put yourself in the queue to uh, ask a question or uh, make a comment about uh, whatever is going on or whatever you want to make a comment about. The way to do that is hit star 8. It's very simple. Please have yourself muted using star 6 first. I always ask that, but I always get people that don't <laughs> for some odd reason. But anyway, um, for good news, you don't have to raise your hand if anybody has any good news for us. And good news can come in many forms and 
in, in many fashions. If you have any good news, go ahead and speak up. You don't have to raise your hand. The floor is yours. Well, I would say the Supreme Court ruling in Madden was excellent news. Uh, yes, it was. I was going to bring that up when we got things uh, done here. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with that, uh, the Madden versus uh, Midland funding was the, the essence of it was Midland was trying to say that uh, they should be treated like original creditors, like the banks, and be able to charge whatever interest they want, basically, no matter where they were. Well, their their premise was that they are creditors when they make these purchases and should be allowed to step into the shoes of the bank and mm-hmm. override state, individual state usury laws on interest the way banks right. do. And what happened today, we've been waiting for this, and the Supreme Court denied even hearing the petition. Yeah. So that was the end of that. Beautiful. Which was great. Uh, That was a a good win for us. Uh, Most of us didn't think they would get anywhere with it. Well, they sure didn't. The Supreme Court didn't even want to hear about it. So that was a, a quick end to their stuff. They didn't even have to get into a bunch of well, arguments. And, and now that makes that ruling out of the fourth, uh, Hanson versus Santander, just Hanson, just, yeah. Or, or Hanson, yeah, just silly. Mm-hmm. You know, other circuits are not going to pay any attention to it. Yeah, well, if they do, that's, there's going to be some good arguments made about it. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that was very good news. So uh, that was something good that came from the uh, Supreme Court today. And uh, that was nice to hear. And I thank uh, Chris, the attorney here uh, from uh, South Lake in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex for sending that on to me, making me aware of that. Got that this morning. And that was just released this morning. So it's always nice to have people keeping us up in the news. Mm-hmm. All right. Who else has got some good news for us? Okay. Well, we don't have anybody else. It, you know, it is early summer, everybody. In fact, it's almost midsummer. <laughs> Here it is, uh, late in the month of June. We're yeah, gonna... but the official date of summer isn't until the 20th of June. So, you know, still. The yeah. Well, that's you know the official solstice, but in uh, our days are getting shorter. By the way, everybody, they are getting shorter. As much as I hate to say that and think about it, because I love the daylight savings time and I love the long days, but uh, I know I don't get everything I want. But anyway, um, I got some good news today. Time. Yeah, I uh, I got some good news today. Uh, that in the form of well, I should say last week I. Uh, did get a settlement check to take care of a, an issue that I had, so that was very, very nice to get that last week. But uh, today I got an answer filed on a lawsuit that I filed recently, and uh, it's really quite comical. That's what I'm trying to read. Yeah, Terry's trying to read it, and she's having a problem. It really, um, going through their answers, it's really uh really really simple because they just say the same thing over and over and over again on each one of the paragraphs lacks knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the allegations contained in paragraph 15 and therefore denies same it's 
verbatim. Bing, 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 all the way through it. But the fun part comes with the affirmative defenses. And you guys have heard us talk about affirmative defenses before. Now, just so you know, this is a TCPA claim. Uh, There's 35 phone calls involved. And uh, I answered the phone uh, a few times. And when I did, um, dead air. Nobody there. And a bunch of times they left a pre-recorded voicemail message, a robo message. And they specified that they were calling uh, in relation to a, a certain account number, 2217082. So you think, well, okay, that's fairly straightforward. And, you know, I did a fairly concise complaint. But I want to read you the affirmative defenses. They they put nine affirmative defenses in. Uh, the first one is the complaint fails to state a claim upon which relief can be granted against the uh, answering defendant. That's all they say. That's it. Um, there's a little problem with that. It doesn't give me, you know, you got pleading standards. And an answer to a complaint is a pleading. Your complaint is a pleading. The answer is a pleading. Not all documents submitted in the court are pleadings, but your beginning documents are. And uh, it's really kind of interesting because they just say it fails to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. And uh, my first defense to that, well, let's put it this way. I'm, I'm looking at my motion to strike affirmative defenses and memorandum and support that I'm going to. Now, I just this was just filed with the court today. Um, this motion to strike these defenses will be filed with the court tomorrow. That's what you call, you know, getting prepared. First defense, plaintiff's complaint fails state a claim upon which relief can be granted against the answering defendant. Okay. And I very simply say the defendant fails to state how the complaint fails to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. The affirmative defense of failure to state a claim should be stricken as insufficiently pleaded if the allegation is no more than a recitation of the standard for a motion to dismiss. And then there's uh, a case citation there. And then it also says this affirmative defense is insufficient to meet the fair notice standard under Woodfield. All right, now the the second affirmative defense, defendant had the plaintiff's prior expressed consent for the conduct or claims alleged in the complaint. Well, my response is there is nothing more, this is nothing more than a boilerplate affirmative defense with no basis whatsoever. Plaintiff clearly states in his complaint at document one, paragraph 10, that he had not given defendant consent to call his wireless phone. Defendant fails to provide any information as to how it allegedly had plaintiff's consent to place calls to his wireless phone. Plaintiff further stated, document one at paragraph 22, that he had no knowledge of or responsibility for account 2217082 defendant was apparently calling about. This affirmative defense is insufficient to meet the fair notice standard under Woodfield and should be stricken. The third defense. Plaintiff claims 
alleged in the complaint are barred by the statute of limitations. Now, this one's really funny. This is nothing more than yet another boilerplate affirmative defense with no basis whatsoever. There is no question that the claims made by plaintiff were brought within the statute of limitations under the TCPA, which is four years. The earliest dated call from the defendant alleged by plaintiff occurred on October 15 of 2013, document 1, paragraph 11. And this action was filed on June 6, 2016, less than 20 months later. Defendant advances no facts or legal basis for the court to conclude that the claims made should be barred under the four-year statute of limitations under the TCPA. Defendant's third defense should be stricken. Fourth defense, plaintiff failed to mitigate his damages. Now, this is a beauty. Failure to mitigate is not a defense to an award of statutory damages. Make note of that, everybody. Failure to mitigate is not a defense to an award of statutory damages. This is not an affirmative defense and should be stricken because it is unintelligible and has no basis in law or in any recognized legal theory. Plaintiff, in any case, clearly articulated his efforts to mitigate damages in his complaint, document 1, paragraph 23. Plaintiff has the burden of demonstrating that he is entitled to whatever damages the statutes allow, and this affirmative defense is a waste of toner. Fifth defense. Plaintiff's claims may be precluded in whole or part to the extent plaintiff's purported damages, if any, were caused by plaintiff's acts and or omissions. I love this one. This is nothing more than another boilerplate affirmative defense with no basis in fact. Plaintiff did nothing more than be subjected to the imperious ring of his wireless phone as a result of numerous bothersome and unwanted phone calls from the defendant without his consent. Plaintiff was needlessly subjected to over 30 calls where there was either dead air when he answered or a pre-recorded voice message was left on his voicemail on most occasions. Defendant fails to provide one scintilla of information as to what type of actions plaintiff may have taken to preclude violations other than not to have his wireless phone in the first place, which is ridiculous on its face. This defense is absurd, having no merit, and should be stricken. Sixth defense. Plaintiff's claims may be precluded in whole or part to the extent plaintiff's purported damages, if any, were caused by third parties over whom defendant had no control or authority. This is nothing more than another boilerplate affirmative defense with no basis in fact. Defendant has not identified any third parties or any of their employees, agents, or principals that may have engaged in any actions related to the violations alleged in plaintiff's complaint. Plaintiff has made no claims against any other parties other than the defendant. Defendant has failed to give fair notice of any alleged factual basis for his defense, for this defense, and it should therefore be stricken. Seventh defense. To the extent defendant's actions violated the law, such actions were the result of a bona fide error notwithstanding reasonable procedures designed to avoid such errors. The TCPA is a strict liability statute, 
Park Universal Enterprises versus American Casualty Company. The TCPA is essentially a strict liability statute that does not require any intent for liability except when awarding treble damages, and that's uh, another case citation. The only affirmative defense available under the TCPA for maintaining procedures to prevent violations of the regulations is in 47 U.S.C. 227-C5 for telemarketers under the National Do Not Call Registry. 47 U.S.C. Section 227-C5-C. Plaintiff's claims are made under 47 U.S.C. 227-B, so on and so forth, where no such affirmative defense is available. Therefore, defendant's seventh defense should be stricken. The eighth one that they put in there was, uh, it's not knowing or willful. Well, now that's something I have to show. So I can't move to strike that one. So we'll go on to the ninth defense, which is the last one. Plaintiff's claims are barred, and they left the word by out the doctrine, <laughs> and Tally even had a chuckle on this when she sent me an email on this. Plaintiff's claims are barred by the doctrine of established business relationship. The doctrine of established business relationship is not an affirmative defense. Plaintiff clearly states in his complaint, document one, at 22, that the defendant was calling about an account number 22-whatever, which he had no knowledge of or responsibility for. Defendant fails to provide any information that the account it was calling about belonged to or was related in any manner to plaintiff or how there was any established business relationship with him. This affirmative defense is insufficient to meet the fair notice standard under Woodfield and should be stricken. So, we have nothing but the same words throughout the entire answer. Then we have these nonsensical affirmative defenses. And out of nine affirmative defenses, tomorrow I'll file a motion to strike eight of them. The only one I'm not moving to strike, logically, is because it's about the knowing and willful. And I have to prove that, which, you know, we can do that. So this gives you an idea of the fun that I had today. I This is fun to me to look at this kind of stuff. And, and interestingly enough, this is a case where I was negotiating with an attorney in New York because this company is on uh, Debt Collector Row in Buffalo, New York. They're one of the scumbag collection outfits out there. There's a zillion of them out there. That's, that's their little beehive. And uh, he obviously must defend them. But uh, well, yeah, but you know what is so blatantly obvious, and it really is kind of sad, is that it's he had that in his drawer. It's already made out. He just has to plug in the correct people, and it's the same thing he always files. And he didn't pay any attention to what the allegations were. I mean, it's like, oh, one of these. Okay, let me see open the drawer, yeah, grab one of those, put the Mac name in, the right court, send that off. Probably had the clerk do it. Well, yeah, this could have been done. By the paralegal. 20 minutes. Yeah. So, but the the whole point is, everybody, when you get these things, you get these, the, the first thing I look for anymore is the affirmative defenses on these things and then look to see who the attorney was. 
I was actually expecting to uh, see the name of a local attorney. As it turns out, it's the same attorney that I was negotiating with that's in New York, and of course I'm in Dallas, and he represents them. Now, he, I did check, and uh, he is admitted to practice in the Eastern District of Texas. <clears throat> Oddly enough, he's admitted to practice in a whole lot of courts. There's a whole string of them he listed on, on their website. So he evidently does a lot of work long distance for the debt collection companies, but this is one where we couldn't come to an agreement. They, he was extremely slow in responding uh, in negotiations, and I finally got that to the point where I had enough. Yeah, it just went on too long, and then they didn't want to pony up uh, you know, sufficient money to satisfy me for uh, a settlement. So I'm going to be dealing with a lawyer long distance, which... You know that's okay, but he's he's already showing me he's not too bright. So yeah, that's an understatement. See, this is this is a thing, and uh, <clears throat> just so everybody knows, when I was negotiating with him, did I look him up? Did I read about him and find out what he does and what he's been involved in? Of course I did. So I had a real good idea who I was dealing with, and everybody else should do the same as well. You know. <clears throat> not just me. That should be standard procedure for anybody. Just like that's judges. Just a, right. You always want to know who you're dealing with. Know about them. So, anyway, if anybody else has got any good news, let's hear your good news. Oh, man, everybody's quiet on the good news front. Well, it is summertime. I know that. You guys, uh, you know, maybe we got a few less people that are engaging in some litigation right now. And, and believe me, that, that ebbs and flows. I mean, I had a period of time where I didn't have much going on other than Midland, and I, I, know, I thought I was going to have more to deal on. with. So I, I filed these because the Midland deal is caught in limbo. So what were you saying, Terry? Yeah, I'm still in wait mode. Right. I'm getting to be a professional waiter. Yeah. But you don't get any tips. I know. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That that was a gift, that Midland ruling today out of the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that was very nice. I got that. I I <clears throat> laughed with glee and was happy to uh, well, send it on to everybody. You, you know, I have a, um ulterior motive why mm. it oh, called yeah. me pink, but <laughs> oh, yeah. it did. No. Oh, believe me, I fully understand that ulterior motive and the people involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. You bet. All right. Well, if anybody has questions, then star eight. I just got is... on, Dave. Oh, no. Oh, no, what? <laughs> Give me 10 seconds to double it. I just hit the highway. Yep. All right, buddy. Real quick, uh, uh, I got an eviction letter from my daughter uh, on the closure property at my mom's place. And, uh, of course, we've got a lawsuit filed now for the wrongful foreclosure, and there's uh, litigation going on, and we've put in a uh, motion to, uh, forgive me, to stop QD, and, and so they've done that. And uh, you, so, you broke up a little bit there. You put okay. a motion in for what? Uh, they, 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 they put it, they, they stopped the QD, they filed, they filed a lawsuit to stop the QD, and so, of course, the opposing attorneys have uh, filed a motion to dismiss. 
standard. But my daughter got a letter today saying that they, the company that's working for the banks is going to evict her. And so I called up the attorney's office and I said, uh, I need to speak to somebody. And of course, nobody was available. And after talking to the lady for about three or four seconds, trying to explain my situation, I uh, said, by the way, are you a debt collector? She says, well, yes, we are. I said, does that mean that you're, you're, or that you're uh, uh, responsible for your actions and capable of being sued under 15 U.S.C. 16, uh, 1962? And she says, sir, can you hang on just for a second? And, of course, at that point, I went straight to the, to the attorney, and I, I spoke to him, and I said, uh, so you're a debt collector, and this is an attempt to collect a debt? He said, well, yes. I said, that's good because I really like the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Would you like to talk about what's going on? He said, Absolutely, sir. I have plenty of time. <laughs> so we did get a couple of things straightened out. Uh, I guess the point of the story is that if you have uh, a little bit of knowledge about what's going on, you can really you can really shake them up. One of the funniest things that they did is they they used Missouri Revised Statute four four one point zero three zero. If anybody cares to look that up, it's funny. It says that a tenant may be evicted for prostitution, illegal gambling, uh, <laughs> or oh boy. Abuse and alcohol abuse. <laughs> and that was the statute that they were trying, trying to evict my daughter under. Oh, oh my, my God. Lord. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, well. You know. I guess stupid lawyer moment. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't assume when, that when they cite... A, a statute or a law that they have one clue at all what they're talking about. You can't assume that just because they have a bar card. Right. Oh, you got that right. Right. And the other thing I got going on is I'm doing the strategic default on two notes, and I I got a letter in the mail today saying that I was three months behind on both of those notes, on both payments. And I had talked to the, the attorney, uh, uh, no, sorry, not the attorney, the bank representatives last Monday, and they assured me that there was a cease and desist on this. And I've, I have it in writing that they will uh, have an answer with, within 30 days on my call for fraud and, and you know, be able to validate, verify, which they've not done. And it's been close to 60 days now. They've still not been able to come up with any answers as to why uh, – my note says that America's wholesale lenders is the lender. <laughs> yeah. So that's just just fun and games. So I called them up three times today, and each time somebody would answer the phone, it went directly to voicemail. <laughs> so I, I left them. I left them a note. I left them a nice nice voicemail today saying they had uh, uh, ten business days to respond with a letter stating that there would be no foreclosure actions or else federal lawsuits. Wow. So, we'll see where that one goes. But that, it just uh, sounds like you're having too much fun. <laughs> I was I am, just going to say that. I am loving life, guys. I have, I, my lifetime, I've never had so much fun. It is, uh, it's so tiring. I feel like I'm king of the world. And i I, I got to tell you, all the nights I've spent with you guys, it's just a sheer pleasure. So thank you for that. And I'll sign off and let you get on with your program. Thank you so much. You could definitely right. be doing worse things rolling down the highway. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, be safe out there on the road, buddy. Okay. Who else has got any good news one last time? Then we're going to go to the uh, questions in the queue. 
Anybody else got any good news? Okay. Not getting anything there. All right. Let's go to Southern California. You have been unmuted. Go ahead. Hi. Hi there. I'm not. I'm outside, so it might be kind of loud. I hope not. Um, I have just a. It's simple, but it's complicated. It's kind of weird. I filed a suit and served everybody. And as soon as the 21 days is up, the court issues an order, you know, for conference and everything. And they put dates in there that were really quickly coming up. And none of the defendants responded to the complaints, but I did find just to cover myself, I'm going to reserve two of them before I put in for entry of default. And I was just curious, what would you do um, where nobody's responded? I am reserving two, but the order, the dates um, coming up, we're supposed to have a joint report, you know, put in. But if I don't have any defendants to work with or that then I you came put, forward then you for put appearance, in. Yeah, then you put in a unilateral report. You do your own. Okay, and yeah. just stating that, because uh, what I was going to do is put in a notice for clarification because of the situation that I'm reserving, our defendants have appeared so that you know it didn't look like I was not doing anything or ignoring the court. Um, now you say you're reserving to what? What's the situation there? Why you're having to reserve them? I'm reserving because I my server we just did it he did it regular tracking and not certified mail green card receipt so I was going to just reserve them even though they oh. didn't get it on the tracking I was going to get it with the green card just as a secondary precaution okay and 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 to additionally show that they were they were served twice you know what I mean okay. and they didn't they failed to respond now um they you're you're serving them by mail is what what kind of a business is it or what kind of an entity is it or individual it's the, the two that the two that are being reserved were reserved to their registered agent who's you know ct yeah CT but who what what type of entity or person are they oh it's um uh let me think here one is well, a law firm and the other one is a servicer oh okay <clears throat> yeah, it's. Yeah, I really suggest that people use a registered agent, and because they can all possible. Well, when you use a registered agent, that they're paid. You mean you mean to, process server? No, no. I'm saying a registered agent as opposed to sending something by mail to a defendant. Because when you have a corporation, just because a corporation gets a document in the mail doesn't mean that it, the person that's authorized to uh, be served is the one that gets it. You know, it's Susie Q in the mailroom or Joe Smith in the mailroom that gets the letter. Okay? But that yeah, doesn't I'm mean... Well, I'm I'm just I'm I'm not Pam. Hold on, just let me finish here. Okay. I'm not necessarily saying this is the case with yours. I'm pointing this out right now. The value of it for everybody's uh, 
use. Benefit. The, the, yeah, for their benefit. The reason that you want to do that is you you can mail something to somebody, but you don't necessarily know that it got to the proper person who is legally able to accept service for the entity that you mailed it to. Whereas when you use a registered agent, <clears throat> you are getting it to somebody who is actually paid. They are, are in a capacity representing that uh, defendant and being paid to accept service. So there's never an issue as to whether the right person was served. That's why I suggest everybody use a registered agent. And you can have a private person uh, as long as you comply, as long as they're a uh, um, an individual with, uh, uh, you know, they're disinterested in the case. Hold on here a second. I got yeah, to I on hear this thing. that. Yeah, I got to remove that. Okay. Um, they, uh, you're you're in a situation where there's no question whether that person can legally be served. And you, you use a person that, uh, any person that's over at least 18 years of age is not related to the uh, thing. And like you say, send it certified mail. And when you're serving a suit like that, it's a good idea to use a green card so that you have the name of the person that did it. But when uh, when you get that served to the registered agent, they can't ever scream and say, oh, well, no, the right person wasn't served. So... Go ahead with yours now. Oh, um, well, I just wanted to be clear with what you're saying now, because I am sending them to the registered agent for the two entities. Mm-hmm. And I have my person who does my service for me who's just resending them with the green card this time versus, you know, how they do the mail that automatically has the tracking, but I guess not the signature, so that's why I'm redoing them too. Well, now, the first time was it sent to the registered agent? Yes. Same thing. It just didn't get the green card. It was just tracked. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you can show that, yes, it was delivered, but I still want to be as a precautionary because it's on a default to redo it with the green card as a secondary, just to yeah, show that, you know what, yeah, they I, were served. Here's the green yeah. Card. Quite frankly, I don't think you need it when it goes to the registered agent. But if you want to do that as a little insurance policy, there's nothing wrong with it. Okay. And then for the for the court's dates, like I said, that was the only thing that was concerning is, you know, to go through their questions on stuff. And I'm thinking, well, nobody's made an appearance. So, and here's the other thing that's odd, though, is the attorney, because it's on an amended complaint, the attorney who had it before, I found out is not admitted. And I called the court and they verified and said, no, he's not. So he's been claiming he was admitted this whole time, and then I find out he's not. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. But here's the thing. The court record, he applied for it, and but it was based on the, the prior amended, the, the prior complaint, not the new one, which had different plaintiffs, or I'm sorry, which had different defendants. So... The court said they granted it, but it had all the old information that was withdrawn, the old defendants that were withdrawn. Yeah, and but then it's, also the court is showing not admitted. So I'm kind yeah, of confused. Yeah, but it's, it's the same case, though, right? Yes. 
Okay, he was admitted to the case, not necessarily to a certain document in it. Okay, because he did that after the the new complaint was filed and on the record and everything. That's what I thought was odd. He was providing all the old information. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds to me like somebody's got their head up their posterior end. Well, the other thing is, uh, which you guys will know, is his firm, the firm that he works for, is a firm that was added to the as a defendant. I forgot how that goes. Does that mean that that firm cannot represent themselves and somebody else has to? I think they can represent themselves. Okay, because I wasn't sure on that, and that's why I was wondering why I didn't hear anything. But yeah, I think they anyway. can represent themselves, yeah. Um, uh, really, uh, in in your deal there with these dates, I mean, if they're not uh, making an appearance in the case... Uh, Nobody has. Well, then you can't hardly uh, deal with anything. I'd just move forward with the default, and then uh, on this, uh, you're supposed to provide a joint document with uh you know to the court well i think i would just uh, uh inform the court that uh you know they they have uh not answered and uh plaintiff is has uh moved forward for a clerk's default uh and plans to file a motion for default judgment and uh, due to the fact that there's no communication with the uh, defendants, uh, plaintiff has filed a uh, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, I used it before, and I can't think of it right now. You know, a, a report just of your own. I'm I'm just losing the word. I can't think of the word. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Um. um Oh, come on, you guys. I just said it a little bit ago. I just got a brain cramp here. That's what happens when you're... The status? No, 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 no. Um, Unilateral. Okay, yeah. The plaintiff is filing a unilateral report with the court uh, due to uh, the fact that uh, none of the defendants have uh, uh, answered and plaintiff is not aware of... uh, uh, who may be uh, representing them, and who to contact. I'd put it right in there. Just tell the court what's going on. Okay. Let the court let the court sort it out. Let the court go. You know what's the matter with these idiots? If they're not gonna, if they're not gonna show up and uh, answer, well, I'm just gonna go ahead and give her a default judgment. But is there any reason why you would still put in that unilateral report because it asks the questions? You know, are you? open to magistrate, like all these questions that aren't necessary if you're putting in a default? I, if it's something you're scheduled to do, <clears throat> I would follow through okay. on that because you, okay. you don't want to, so to speak, defy what the court says. If the court says you're supposed to do something by X date, do it by X date unless there is a specific reason why you can't. But uh, in your okay. case, you just uh, I would, if I were in your position, excuse me, now it's, uh, now it's the hiccups. Um, if I were in your position, I would just go ahead and uh, move forward with my stuff and just say, hey, you know, the other side has an answer. Don't know who's representing them. Don't know who to contact. Uh, therefore, uh, plaintiff submits uh, to, uh, to be in compliance with the order of the court. 
plaintiff has filed this unilateral uh, report. Okay. And I mean, you and know, the court, the court looks at that. What are they? What's the court going to think? Well, yeah. Geez, you know, uh, she doesn't know who she's supposed to talk to. How you know? How can yeah, you talk I mean, to somebody you don't even know? Well, that's why I was wondering if they would bring up and say that because the attorney was—I don't know if he was admitted, or it was granted—but yet it still shows that he's not admitted. Wait, you so, don't know who you, you're. You're dealing with unknown stuff right now. You don't know who is representing who because people haven't answered. Right. There's okay, been no responsive like pleading. I mean, if they filed a motion to dismiss, you'd know who right, exactly. was representing. Yep. Yeah, any kind of responsive yep. pleading, you could identify who you're supposed to be talking to. But seeing as how that has not occurred, you have no knowledge of who you are supposed to contact uh, and therefore, um, to comply with the uh, uh, court's order, uh, docket number so-and-so, plaintiff uh, herein submits uh, her uh, unilateral uh, report to the court and uh, uh, make uh, and ask the court to take note that uh, uh, plaintiff has uh, filed for a clerk's default and intends to file a, a motion for default judgment. Uh, because the uh, defendants have failed to uh, respond in any manner. Okay. And then on the procedure for that is you're putting in a, I forgot what it's called. I haven't looked at this stuff for years. Um, notice, notice for clerk's default, you're putting in that one first? Yeah, you put in for the clerk's default first. And then you uh, you follow that up with a motion for uh, default judgment. Now, uh, some jurisdictions require that they be done separately. Some uh, you can do them at the same time. Uh, the jurisdiction I'm in, for instance, I can go for the clerk's default today, but I have to wait till tomorrow to file the motion for default judgment. But I know there's a number of uh, jurisdictions around the country where you can do both of them at the same time. That's a question for your clerks at the court. Okay, if you can solve them both. Okay, so yeah, one's just like the notice for of entry of de- the clerk's entry of default, and then the second one right. is the motion. Re- yeah. Okay. Request for clerk's default. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, and. You have to put in an affidavit only with the motion, or would you have to do that with the clerk's default? Too? You have to do the you know, uh, the events and service. Yeah. You have to do the uh, affidavit with the uh, clerk's uh, motion for clerk's default, because okay. there you you have to state you know that they were properly served and so on and so forth. Okay, that's why I wanted to see wait until I had the other one, which has already been sent. It's only like a week out and then file that showing that they've been served on this date and also on this date, you know, twice. Yeah, you want you want to have you have that evidence back, yeah. Okay. And then what do you do? Just put you show copies of like the green cards as your exhibits? Uh actually our court here requires that you bring in uh the actual green card now here again, okay. that's a question. That's a question for your court clerk. Court. Yeah, yeah, because okay. that's all so procedural. Yeah, just you know, tell them you know this is what I need to do. This is this is where I am with this case, 
And I, I want to move forward with a clerk's uh, default and then do a motion for default judgment. Uh, can I file both the, you know, for the clerk's default and the motion for default judgment at the same time? You know, exactly what procedure do I have to use to accomplish that? Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, well, I already filled out part of it, so that'll I'll fill the rest and go with that. Yeah. Okay. Actually, they're they're pretty simple. I mean, it, it's you don't have to write a book or anything for the motion for default judgment. You know, it's you just tell the court, well, and here's the situation. They were served. Uh, they, uh, uh, according to federal civil procedure, they were required to answer by such and such a date. Plaintiff has, uh, uh, they have filed no responsive pleading of any type with the court, and, and therefore uh, plaintiff seeks a default judgment uh, uh, against defendant so and so, you know, in the amount of such and such mm -hmm. plus plus costs. Yep. What if you don't have all the amounts figured out? Uh, when I did mine, uh, it seems to me I, I did that. It's been so long ago. That's been almost five years ago. Um, you can put in there for costs, and then if the court grants it, then the court would uh, would come back and say you need to submit a bill of costs. Okay. Yeah, because I don't. Yeah, have the, that yeah the the only the only thing okay. is there that slows things down a little bit, though. It leaves a potential. Yeah. Over okay. So, oh, and know, I did want to add. Um, this is on a different note, but on a different case. You were talking about how comical this stuff was, and on, I just did an opposition, and in reading over their affidavit, it's very comical because it's with somebody who doesn't even work for the company, who's stating, you know, some entry-level person stating that he's got access to all the books and records, and it's going down the list, and you almost kind of become a smart aleck, you know, because it's like, it's so clear to see that they have. No, you know, nothing. They have nothing, no and they're just trying yeah. to claim, yeah, these people, you know, oh, yeah, they have all the access to this in litigation when they're in the IT department or, you know, something really silly. So I had fun with that response, yeah. and when I was done, you read it over, and it's just comical. Yeah. It's amazing you know, to, that they're all yeah, the same. To, yeah, to to put, uh, put a little bit of uh, humor and stuff in things, uh the judge, most judges will kind of enjoy that. Just you know, you just don't want to overdo it. You know, that's yeah. just like in the stuff I read you a little while ago. You know, this affirmative defense is a waste of toner. You know, yeah. just that little comment in there. You know, judge reads that and goes, yeah. You know, but it it throws <laughs> it 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 throws a little humor into something that's usually extraordinarily dry because you know, reading legal pleadings is. You know, unless Boring. you look at it like we do, it it cannot. You know, a lot of times there isn't much humor to it. It's just serious business. But uh, putting yeah. some humor into it is good. Just don't overdo it. Is all I, the only comment I have. And then the other, well, I guess this is kind of good news. Again, I had a laugh out of it. Was when I was researching for the opposition to the sanction for the discovery. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> I found out that she had violated the federal rules, the local rules, the court order, and the chamber rules. So, of course, when I did my opposition, it was like, she should be the one who was sanctioned because she didn't, she didn't do any of this. And she's yeah. claiming she did. 
and signed her name. So it was pretty evident that after 180 days and then six six days notice is not reasonable. Yeah. It was actually her and her side that was, you know, doing, being bad about it. Uh-huh. So, anyway, I got all that stuff filed at one time. I didn't have to, but I just thought, here you go, you know, take it all. Let them have it. So, yep. Well, that's good. Keep after them. Okay. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Take care. All right. Well, Pam is always busy, busy, busy out there in California. She's a real fighter, a go-getter going after these people. She's uh, not afraid to take them all the way into appeals. She's done several of those. and uh, That can be a, a, a pretty good challenge, but hey, it's like I've said how many times, how bad do you want it? That's going to determine what you're going to do. All right, who else has got questions for us tonight? If you have any questions, hit star eight. That'll put you in the queue. All right. We have Massachusetts. You are up to bat. Go ahead. Hi, Dave. It's Elir. Hi, Elir. How are you tonight? I'm still hanging. Hey, that's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a good sign that I called. That means I'm alive. Uh, you know, I'll bet you you were really thrilled this morning when you woke up and you were still breathing, just like I was. I'm I'm thrilled every morning when I wake up. It's like, all right, I get another one. <laughs> I'm not this stage yet, but it looks like it's coming. Well, here is a question about uh, my case. I this uh, this lawyer for this debt collector filed a motion to dismiss, and he never notified me. Never sent a mail. Uh, Did he realized... put a certificate of service in uh, in into the yes, court record? Did. Yeah, he did. He okay, but he never sent it. He never mailed me anything, and uh, I reminded—I didn't even know that he filed the motion to dismiss because I have two cases for the same lawyer, and he asked me for a week uh, extra time to answer. And I thought he's going to answer on 26th or sorry, 21st. So on 21st, I sent an email to him to remind him, and he emailed me the motion to dismiss, and I said, "You never." mailed this to me. Well, he said, we have proof that we did. And I said, send the proof. He sent another PDF file. So he never did really send me the... I threatened him, telling him that I'm going to file a motion for default judgment, but uh, it looks like he didn't care. Anyhow, I have the uh, opposition to that motion ready. I just, in the end, I wanted... I, By the way, I mentioned during my... Uh, you know, my answer, I mentioned that I was never served. So the the game is not really fair, the way he's playing. Mm-hmm. Now, in my uh, conclusion, after I analyzed all his points, I, on my conclusion, I asked only for, motion, uh, for this uh, motion to dismiss to be denied. Do I add anything else or that's enough? What I would do is I would say, uh, you know, wherefore uh, plaintiff requests this honorable court deny defendant's motion to dismiss, but in the event that uh, the court uh, does uh, grant 
defendant's motion that it grant plaintiff leave to amend his complaint to correct any deficiencies identified by the court. I put that in all mine because that's the way you're saying, okay, I'm saying don't dismiss my claim. But if you do, automatically, right at that time that you dismiss it, grant me leave to amend, tell me what was wrong so that I can go clean it up and uh, amend my complaint. And see, by doing that, you don't have to go back and go through a bunch of faulty roll because if the court for some reason does dismiss and you've made that request, they'll they'll put right in there, okay, you know, the court uh, dismisses plaintiff's complaint with leave to amend, and then you just read their um, the reason for dismissal, and they'll tell you what, what the problem was with the complaint, and then you just go correct it and go file your amended complaint, and you're good to go. Okay. That's uh, that makes sense. I I I did some research and I never uh, found this way of expressing it. You were the first. To... So this is golden. It's good. Yeah, I've I've, I've done that. I put that in my stuff. Uh, whenever I had that, I think I've only had. I think I've only had one, one motion to dismiss, and geez, that was like three or four years ago. I don't even get any motions to dismiss, which is always oh, nice, you know. I mean, yeah, it is nice, really, if you don't get yeah. that. Yeah, but that's, you know, I've, I've counseled a number of people to do that because it's just real simple. I mean, you're already writing it. It's just a little bit added to that wherefore statement, you know. You know, the mm-hmm. plaintiff requests uh, the court uh, deny uh, defendant's motion to dismiss, but in the event that... Uh, court uh, uh, grants their motion that uh, plaintiff be granted leave to amend his complaint to correct any deficiencies identified by the court. And so, okay. I mean, it's, it's, I mean it, it's right there up front to the court because, let's face it, if the court uh, dismisses your case, they're going to tell you why. They're going to tell you what was wrong with it. Okay, so then you have if to they tell you what's wrong with it, you just you just figure out what you got to do to correct it, and then you've already got the court's permission to refile. You don't you don't have to fiddle with anything. You don't have to go get it, have a conference with anybody or talk to anybody or anything else. The court's already said, "Yep, you can do it." Makes that it easy. His his arguments are really poor, uh, David. Like uh, crazy, how these guys can make. Tons of loads of money with uh, it is crazy, like isn't that. it? Yeah, it's so, just like uh, this stuff with these affirmative defenses that I was reading yeah. earlier on my case. I mean, yeah. it's like you know, what a bunch of ding dong BS. And they get paid how much an hour to do this stuff? Four hundred, five. Well, I, generally, depending on who these guys are and where they're located and stuff, anywhere from uh, two hundred fifty to seven hundred and fifty an hour. The answer is too much. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's really... So my, my argument, what he did, really, he got caught in a couple of uh, things that he thought is strong, and he never touched uh, the the heavy-duty ones where, you know, the whole case is built on. Mm-hmm. So uh, I pointed that to the court. Uh, 
in, in my summary that, you know, uh, the, the, the counsel for the other side never mentioned this, 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 and this, because he has no, uh, there is no doubt, there is no dispute about these facts. So uh, right. I think I'm in pretty good, uh, pretty good shape. Good. And then I haven't, yeah, I have two cases, but the second one I haven't touched yet, so that has a little more time. He mailed it to me, the other, so it's the same, the same lawyer. All right, mm-hmm. thank you very much. Yep, you're welcome. And and one thing that I recommend that everybody do, and you know, I'm, I'm going to say this because of something you mentioned there, you know, um, when you've got a case going, it's good for you to go blip onto Pacer and check your docket every day. It's just like me. I knew this case that I had had to be answered by tomorrow. I knew I was getting down to the end but I wanted to get the jump on. I was curious to see who was going to be representing them and what kind of nonsense they were going to put in. And I've been checking every every day for the past week. And lo and behold, today all I did was bring it up, and you just got to look at the date for last filing. And, you know, if you know the last filing was on a certain date and all of a sudden there's a new date, then, then you can go look at that uh, the rest of the docket. It doesn't cost me anything when I just go and look at that that basic thing, so it doesn't cost you a penny on that until you go to look at documents. But uh, that's just a good thing for people to do if you've got litigation going on. Take a moment each day to go check your docket. You never know what kind of stuff these people are going to pull. And the stuff about not getting copies of things, I'm going to say there's a small possibility that in some of these cases that a postal service screwed something up because we know they do that. Uh, but the majority of the time, it's because the other side didn't send it. But the the point being, if you get the the information in a timely manner, instead of having to dig out of a hole because something happened and you didn't know about it, and you're trying to reverse a a process that happened, if you find out that it's been uh, filed and it's on the docket, then you're heads up just like me. You know, I don't have to wait. And and here in this deal, I had. There's no certificate of service, so I'm going to assume he didn't mail me anything. He filed it today, and, and if he mailed something, it would be coming from New York, so I wouldn't get it till the end of the week anyway. This way, I'm aware of it, and uh, I've already got my motion to uh, do my uh, strike affirmative defenses done. So just, just be in the habit of doing it every day when you're in litigation. Yeah. All right, Dave. I think this guy is doing this on purpose, that did not mail anything from mm-hmm. But oh, that's that's possible. Yeah, Absolutely, it could. It it, it can be it can be uh, very intentional. You know, oh, you're a pro se. Yeah, we're not going to send him anything. You know, we'll, we'll we'll play with him. We'll have some fun at his expense and this. Or it could be just inadvertent error. I mean, you know, you just don't know. Yeah. All right, I'll be here listening a little bit longer. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, who else has got questions for us tonight? Hit star eight to put yourself in the queue. That's how you uh, get lined up. I don't see anybody sticking hands up. I mean, good grief. Come on, guys. We're we're only about an hour into the call, and I know it's quiet in the summertime. I don't know. You know, Terry, John, is this a reflection of we're doing such a good job of imparting knowledge to people out here or is it summer what 
the, the calm before the storm. That is true, too. Yeah, I agree with you, John. You know, I do. If, if you listen to the um, the flickering tube, if people are mesmerized by that, and they really listen, everything is perfect. Everything's fine. People are better off than they've ever been. More jobs have been created. There's more opportunity. You can choose which bathroom you want to use. It's just, you know. Oh, yeah, they, and it's just me that's out of work. Oh, thank God everybody else has a job. Yeah, but there's rainbows and unicorns everywhere. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and little stars and fuzzy bears and everything. And, and you know, a song because, that comes to mind. Well, because people feel feel confident that the nanny state will take care of them no matter what. But the reality is that when, you know, I was liking it to um, musical chairs. Eventually, when the music stops and and the story ends. That's when all the action starts. And all the chairs are taken. Right. Someone's short end of the stick. Someone someone doesn't have a chair to sit in or or someone doesn't have a pot to piss in. And um then the wolves come out to, you know, rip the flesh from your bones. Extract their feet. And the, and those wolves have we know, like Midland funding and Midland credit management and asset acceptance and and, and and you know debts multiply. It's it's amazing how the same account be, can be collected on from five different debt collectors, and you know people shoot themselves. And they're like rabbits. If they're lucky they enough to have Obamacare, they can probably get free antidepressants, but the phone's still going to ring. So <laughs> it's just the calm before the storm. And there's two ways of dealing with those situations. There's you know kick the can down the road, which is what we did after 2008, or there's like Iceland where they uh, said, screw this crap and threw the bankers in jail and wiped out the debts and they're doing better than ever. Yeah, I vote for that one. It takes a small country where people eat look fish, you know, which is, I think, uh, preserved with lye or something, you know, they take the fish and they put lye and stuff and they bury it in the ground and let it get nasty. But they live off that stuff. They also, it's one of the few countries that um, where fairies live in a rock formation, instead of digging the rocks out, they'll run a road around it instead of, you know, destroying the rocks where the fairies live. So it's weird that in a place where they really believe in fairies and unicorns and stuff like that, that they do stuff to preserve them instead of here where they're hypothetical and you get the bathroom of your choice and they screw you. Um, but Iceland <laughs> dealt with it and uh, most of Europe hasn't. And um, the people in England woke up enough that 72% of them voted and the majority of them, majority, majority is what democracy is all about, I thought. But the majority of them said, nope, we don't want to be part of this totalitarian regime, which was revealed today that they really have a plan to eliminate all the governments, so they just have one government in Europe uh, and one central bank and so on and so forth. Well, actually, they they wanted North American Union, the the EU, 
And then there is a global government above all that. That's what they were up to. Well, of course, course, but the British people were smart enough to say, you know, nope, nope, we're not going to do this. And they pulled the plug or attempting to, although the media is trying to brainwash them into they didn't do anything. And And who are the biggest ones screaming bloody murder about it? The The financial community and the politicians. Well, it's it's because it doesn't serve either one of them. It's people that are two or three layers down. People that are two or three layers down that are going to have nothing because their masters won't pay them anymore if they get their jobs taken away. And so they're freaking out that they won't be able to afford vacation homes and luxury yachts and things like that, you know, because they'll have no more proletariat to rip off. And, um, but good for the British people, you know, that they're standing up to do that. And it's sending shockwaves throughout the world where they're artificially manipulating currencies and markets to um, scare people into saying, no, we need a super state. We need to be, we need this. We, we, we don't need freedom. We don't need, we need the freedom that they tell us we're going to have. Um, and it's interesting enough that even though the dollar's screaming high and the pounds dropping and the euros dropping and related currencies to the pound and the euro are down china decided to oh we're going to devaluate we're going to devalue our currency because they again our currency yeah which makes the dollar even stronger which makes us probably want to consume more of their products and get deeper in debt to them then when the pendulum swings the other way we're going to owe them a lot more money. It's going to be more expensive to pay back, which is kind of like what our bankers do to us. But the Chinese are smart enough to do a little Kung Fu and use that against the oligarchs in our country. And Russia's yeah, I, earlier, John, I heard a pundit say it was in an interview. I'm not even sure what show it was. It was just playing in the background. Um, globalism is here to stay. You can't escape. We can't escape globalism. And I'm like, bet me, gambler. Yeah, tell that to Europe or to exactly. uh, the UK. I mean, well, well, you know, interestingly enough, <clears throat> I went over yesterday or day before yesterday to get my hair cut, <clears throat> and it, I I go see this uh, gal. She's just got a small shop, and and there was a uh, uh, young guy in there. 20-something, and I can't remember exactly how the subject of the uh, Brexit vote came up, but uh, I was asked what uh, what my opinion was of it, and uh, I said, that's fantastic. I'm just so glad to see it. That's beginning of a whole lot more of that kind of stuff going on. And the only thing that this young guy had to say, and he didn't want to listen to anything that I had to say about trying to explain what it was really about. You know what his whole entire focus was? Mm-hmm. He lost money in his 401k because of the Brexit vote in the UK. Yeah, Wait, that's all he was concerned with. Do you really lose money? No, no because, because it, it, it goes up, it goes down. Right. I'm an idiot on math, and I know that. The evening news, they were saying that the Scott stock market plunged again today. And I looked at it, I said it was like 
2% or something. That's a plunge. It's gone down a hell of a little more than a lot more than that. I mean, 2% is like a wiggle. That's like yeah. a normal fluctuation, you know, like when it's just a normal flux. A plunge would be like 10, 12% maybe every day. And, yeah. there, and, and there's a great book for those of you ha- that haven't read it. It's called How to Lie with Statistics. And it's so easy that you can adjust the way you look at numbers to justify whatever argument you want to put forward. And they're just lying to the public about that because the stock market market didn't plunge it just you know softened up a little bit people aren't sure what's going on they well, of course it's going to wobble and yeah, with, well, especially with automated trading it's going to wobble yeah well now i'm sitting here looking i you got most of you know that i'm a futures trader and i have real-time data i i actively trade the markets and i'm sitting here looking at the dow futures contracts tonight and right now it's up 103 points Mm-hmm. Last oh, night, but it's a Japan. Dave. Yeah, well, last night, Japan, uh, the Nikkei index in Japan uh, was up uh, almost 400 points. Oh, they more than bounced back. They, they screamed. Okay, well, tonight, the market opened down, and now the Nikkei is only down 39 points. It was down mm-hmm. several hundred earlier. Yeah. But, you know, everything's coming unglued. Well, believe me, things are going to come unglued, but it's not because of the Brexit. The Brexit is just the beginning manifestation of the anger of the people being taken advantage of by the elites. Mm-hmm. That's it, in a nutshell. It's just the manifestation, the beginning of the obvious manifestation of the underlying social mood. Which it's is not, not yeah. It's not just Americans who no. are who are forgiving and patient. Most people are, but when you finally cross that line, that's it. Yeah, enough is enough, so to speak. So um, yeah, there's. Uh, uh, did you guys read that stuff I I sent out this weekend yes. about the. Uh, uh, Stuff about the Brexit and what was, you know, there's a lot of people yeah. who don't understand what was, uh, what led to that. You know, they think, oh, there's just a bunch of people who want to leave the EU. Well, the bigger question is, why? Why did they want to leave exactly? They wanted their country back. Well, a lot of people have no idea what the European Union is. Mm-hmm. Socialism on steroids. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, the EU was formed 40 years ago, give or take. And Brussels is not only where there's a lot of, been some real problems with terrorists, and Muslim, yeah, I, Muslim I extremists. It. Hang on a second, Terry. Muslim extremists, but that's where the headquarters of the EU is. Brussels, Belgium, you know. Right, but you know what, Dave? I I heard earlier, and this was so accurate. The the big three: Germany, France, and Britain. They are the givers. They are the ones with the money that prop up all the rest. You mean the like one, the Greeks and Port, Portugal and and the takers? Of the, the takers are like Spain, Italy, Greece. Mm-hmm. 
you know. And so when Britain pulls out, if France follows, and I believe they will, may take them a little time, Germany ends up holding the bag for the whole thing because the rest of them are takers, not givers. That's why socialism does not work. You know, it's like um, Atlas Shrugged and Ayn Rand on a huge scale. Yeah, it's it really is uh, very interesting, and I would uh, I would encourage everybody to go do some reading about the real reasons behind the Brexit. And uh, and don't uh, you can... find that Brussels one of the takers? You know, Belgium is one of the taker countries. They don't produce a lot, <laughs> you know, and they're the ones that think they should run everything. You know. Well, that, that's where everything is headquartered. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a matter of okay, you're going to take uh, many different societies, and you're going to put them together, and then there's going to be a few people that are going to tell everybody what to do. That's what the EU was about, and it was about money. It was about the banks loaning. Well, and a lot of it had to do with with the immigration. And and here's something I hadn't really thought about before, but it really hit me today. When uh, in an interview it was brought up, the problem was not the number of, let's say, Syrian refugees being sent to Germany. Germany accepts them, right? But Germany has a lousy welfare program compared to Britain. They have the best of all the countries in the EU. They're the most generous Uh, with the freebies, okay? So all of these refugees get sent to the different countries in the EU, and it's nothing to them to just keep on going because the borders, there are no borders. The whole idea of the EU, that there are no borders. So Britain ends up with a huge share, more than anybody else. Why? Because all these uh, refugees and illegals, why would they stay in France or Germany if they can just keep going and cross Britain's borders with with impunity and, and get, get a lot all more? The free, get all the free stuff. Exactly. Right. right. The, it's they're the freeloaders. So Britain has no way of stopping them, of knowing who they are. Because there's no borders, there's no well, border check. Yeah, the EU dictates it. Britain yeah. doesn't get to dictate it. That's what they they gave up their sovereignty in that regard when they joined the EU, and that's what people don't understand. They lost a say so in what happens in their country. And everybody here needs to be aware. George Bush Senior publicly handed over American sovereignty to the U.N. at the Rio uh, Convention in, uh, when was that, 92? I don't, I don't know specifically on that. I can't remember the but, year, yeah. but uh, signed, I mean, publicly and said it out loud that he pledged the sovereignty of the American people to the UN. We had nothing to say about it. And I disagree. 
my sovereignty didn't go out the window. Yeah. Well, but see, it's it's you know you, you can tell by the uh, comments that Terry just made and other people here on this call that what's happening in Europe they're just ahead of us. Yep. What's coming here and the face of what's coming here in the same vein of what just happened in uh, the UK is Donald Trump. That's what everybody's got to understand. He is the catalyst. That's right. And one reason it didn't it didn't roll over us like a tsunami like it did Europe is that we are armed and they had to be a little more cautious with us. They have to be a lot more cautious with us. Yeah, well, I was being facetious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we've got somebody with a hand up here. So we're gonna go to New York City. Good evening. You're unmuted. Hi, Dave. How are you? It's Ed in New York. I'm good. How are you? How are you guys, Terry and John? Um, We're good. All right. That's good. I spoke to you, I don't know, maybe a week or two ago. So I'm I'm in foreclosure, and it's uh, Wamu Chase, just to give you a little background so we know what we're talking about here. And I'm still I'm, I'm trying to finish up on my Fed complaint. Um, and I, Terry, um, I'm trying to do, uh, the servicer chase is reporting on my credit reports. So I'm trying to go after them in my fed complaint for the S2B. Well, How do I do? on what, on what, on what grounds do they have um, an S2B? Well, from from the research and the study and from talking to Jesse and things, um, I would have to prove that they never had the right to e- either collect my payments to begin with. Well, no, that's got nothing to do with S2B. How do you figure there's an S2B violation? That's what I'm asking. Because I disputed with the CRAs um, this, this particular account. Yes, and... And I'm assuming the CRAs uh, notified Chase. Um, I didn't. Do, I just disputed it. There was no other information provided. Well, that wait a minute. Sufficient. Okay. What did you dispute specifically? I just a general dispute letter, just disputing the account. Um, well, that doesn't work. I mean, what was the response back from the CRA? Actually, I just had, let me see. It was just verified that this is yours. Actually, I just had it in front of me. Hold on. Okay. That, that's, that's a problem. Okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to explain this to you. Okay. If you're not specific when you make a dispute of a trade line in your credit report, then they can pigeonhole that to a general dispute. And then all Chase has to do is check their records and see if all the data that is in that trade line is, in fact, the data that they furnished the CRA. And then they say, okay, it's verified. And they will get away with that because your dispute was vague and scant. Now, if you had said... 
for instance, it, there's got to be something in the trade line that is inaccurate. It doesn't belong to you, for instance, or um, the amounts are way wrong, or it's paid off, or just a number of things. Or you're not the obliger, you're just, mm-hmm. you know, on, you know, as user of an account or something, but you've got to be, you've got to be, um, specific. So if I were you, I wouldn't go after an S2B on that dispute because you won't get it. Okay. But, but there's nothing stopping you from doing it. Now you're not happy with, with the results and maybe that's your own fault because you weren't specific. Remember there's 26 codes Okay. For them to use. So you can dispute again and be very specific about what it is you are disputing about that trade line. And then if they just come back with a verified and you know that what you're disputing is in fact false, then you have a failure to investigate. Okay. That's an S2B. All right. All right, because just I I may go off onto some uh, abstract thinking here because I know Jesse talks about specifically through the through the CRAs trying to uh, to fight for the foreclosure and stuff like that. So, but that that may be separate from the S two B. Oh yeah, because that's FDCPA and all that. That's well, he's well through the credit reporting agencies. Um, I don't know if John can help me out on this. Uh, but um, that if you could prove that, you know, let's say I have bogus assignments and that they never had the right to have the account. So how could they report an account that they don't have the right to have to begin with, if that makes sense, if I'm saying that right? Well, right, but that's down the line. Once you, once you have made a specific dispute right. and you've right. got words, good, good grounds for claiming an S2B right. and you take it to court and it's it's just like in the oral argument at the 11th when uh when they were asked the other side was asked well where's your permissible purpose to have gotten a credit report and the lawyer says well that was for collection of the T-Mobile account and the judge speaks up and says yeah the one that belongs to nobody and it wasn't hers so if there was no account uh, where's your permissible purpose to collect an account? Right. And you're saying a general dispute is not, I would have to specifically say it wasn't mine? Or no. Is there a if, if, no. You have to know what it is you're disputing. I said that was a, an example. No, okay. like For instance, okay. it's not mine. If it's not yours, say so. Right. And I would have to, <laughs> but so should I let, should I, because, this is the last count in my Fed complaint, so I'm thinking if I should put it in or take it out. But if I put it in, and then let's say through um, discovery and, and as the case pursues, the federal case, and I prove that they didn't have a right to, they never, um, the, the loan wasn't transferred from Wamu to Chase, and it's not their account, that, you know, through Lawrence Naughty, through Well, things, yeah, if you can prove that that account with them mm-hmm. never existed. Right then obviously it's not yours, is it? Right. So that was, you, okay. Let me ask you a question. Do you get monthly statements from them? Yes. 
the small claims attack? Is that where you're going with that? No. You're oh. getting monthly statements from Chase. Yeah. For, for your mortgage. Mm-hmm. Does it say on the statement that they're your servicer? Uh, that's a good question. Um, Have you sent them a qualified written request? Yes, yes. I've done the qualified written and request. And what did they come back with? Um, I have a bunch of a bunch of BS uh, stuff. They sent me an assi- you know, a bogus assignment uh, dated 2016, which obviously how could WAMU or F- the FDIC... Right, but, but, the, but the thing is, they can still be your servicer. Still be my servicer. Right, there's two issues. There's the issue of who who is the creditor and then who is the servicer. So it, they can be your servicer and report a trade line. But they're also making the cl- okay the service that they make okay they're not making a claim of an original creditor, um, but they're claiming that their successor in interest to WAMU, which we uh, I know I had a securitization audit I know through Lawrence Naughties that that didn't happen. Um, well, that's on the other side of it, but they still, okay. you know, even if some, you know, if, you know, 123 Main Street, you know, trust uh, owns your mortgage, they still can be the servicer. And as a servicer, they can report a trade line. Okay. All right. Um. What name are they reporting under? Chase. Uh, just Chase, Chase. Yeah, they're, they're suing me on the, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. They're they're reporting under which Chase at MTG, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Chase, Chase MTG. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, then presumably you could sue them and say that that's you know they're using a name other than the true name of the debt collector other than the true name of the creditor. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so, yeah. and he, here's the angle on that. They're suing you, right? They say you owe them for a mortgage, that they're the creditor, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you turn around and you sue them for the trade line, stating that, um, well, Yes, under the FDCPA, they would be excluded as a creditor. But there is an exclusion that says that if a creditor uses any uh, any name other than the, their true name, then the FDCPA applies. So that at that point, they're either going to have to say, well, we're the servicer, we're not the creditor. If they come and make that argument that they're not the creditor, how can they be suing you in the state court? Mm. In other words, mm-hmm. their answer there is going to be that, you know, well, we shouldn't be suing you, mm-hmm. which is going to be the most useful thing for you. The other side of it is they say, well, yes, we are the creditor and we're using, you know, and, and we can use whatever name we like. Well, no, you can't. That's not. <laughs> FDCPA, so then you can go forward with your FDCPA claim, and that FDC and that FDCPA claim is also an FCRA claim. Okay. That they're reporting erroneous information. 
there is no there is no legal entity called Chase MTG, right? right I've never right, heard yeah. of one. Right. Okay. And have you looked at all three of your credit reports? Yes. Um, and they're on all three. Uh, I have exactly the same or differently. I have Experian and Equifax right in front of me. They have it exactly the same. Chase MTG. Uh huh. Uh, so, and a TransUnion one. I don't have right in front of me, but yeah, okay, that makes that well, sounds good it, to me. Look at it that way, because you know who is Chase MTG? Do you know? No, you right. don't. No. Have, no. have you disputed the trade line? Yeah, three or four times I have certified uh, mail receipt and everything. All right, but how did it come back after the dispute? That they verified the information. They it's marked in dispute. Um, it said we verified this belongs to you. Additional information has been provided from the original source regarding this item. If you have additional questions about this item, please contact Chase MTG with their address and phone number. Right, but you know Chase MTG is what you know. Right, you, right, right. No, I, no I'm no. with you. And you've sent them a debt validation letter. I'm, I'm assuming you might not have to put MTG, but you just send a debt validation letter to Chase. And then it's like, well, gee, Judge, you know, uh, let me ask you a question, <laughs> Mr. Judge, Mrs. Judge. <laughs> if someone was trying to take money from you, but they couldn't show you that they were the party entitled to take the money, would you continue to make payments to them? Mm -hmm. I'm being sued by this company over here. It's called J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A., but over here it's being reported as Chase MTG. <laughs> What's going on? I'm smiling ear to ear. Oh, I love talking to you guys. I really do. <laughs> but I mean, that's 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 what you got to get your your mind around that way. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. That makes it makes sense when it comes out of your mouth. That's why you guys are the experts. <laughs> and it no no one's an expert. It's just it only makes sense. I mean, you you got a you got a complaint against you that says one thing, and you get credit reports that say another. What the hell's going on here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I never even thought right. It says Chase MTG it doesn't even say either J P Morgan Chase or J P Morgan Chase Bank N A or all these other. More because most, most of your arguments are going towards defending your state suit, okay? You know that the note, and the, 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 you know, but this it's pretty simple that the FDCPA, when you look at it, says that you know it excludes creditor except using a creditor using any name other than the true name of the creditor. Well, Chase MTG isn't that, and that opens up the F. CRA part that says, you know, false and erroneous information. Well, is it true or is it false? Do I owe Chase MTG or do I owe Chase Bank, you know, JP Morgan Chase Bank NA? Which is it, Judge? You know, it can't it can't be both, can it? Do I owe twice? Who's right. gonna release this loan from me that I got with Washington Mutual? I've sent dispute letters. I've disputed it with the credit reporting agency. When you dispute with the credit reporting agency, they send a notification to the person, the party reporting the trade line, and they respond back letting the credit reporting agency know whether it's been verified or not. They say it's been verified. So Chase MTG verified me 
verified this, but I'm being sued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. And hey, I sent a debt validation letter to Chase MTG, and they came back and they, you know, allegedly verified the information. But it, they're not the ones suing me. It's J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. And hey, what's going on here? Good stuff. I like that. I like that answer. I'll take it. I'll take that. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um I have something else that I, I was I was not gonna bring up, but um well, you guys could respond to it or not. Um I'm having a difficult time. I'm having a difficult time with, with my wife right now. <laughs> trying not to, to talk too loud. Um she actually went and um retained an attorney. Um to fight the state case. Um, it was someone that I agreed to, you know, I've been doing all this research for the last like year and a half or two. So anyway, like I said, I, um, I don't know if there's any, anything I could do at this point. She went and, and retained his services to fight the state uh, case. And I'm thinking of just going with, with doing my federal thing and uh your federal your federal case has got nothing to do with the state case that's right 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 so right you don't have to worry about that but if if she retained the attorney to deal with your state case um then you are represented there you you're not going to be able to do anything individually and, well, wait a, uh, wait a second. Did you agree to the attorney too in writing and retain him? Well, that's yeah, that's. Uh, Did you or didn't you? <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't. Then you're unrepresented. Right. I've seen it, plenty of cases in, in our neck of the woods where, you know, one party gets counsel and the other doesn't, and then the wife, you know pleads out of the whole thing and and divorces him and the guy's left fighting the case. I, I was just going to say you got to be real careful of those kind of things in a domestic situation because you you potentially have a marriage on on the line. Right. No, and that's that, that's the conversation I I told yeah, yeah. a therapy session that I might need here, but um yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's the situation I'm in. So it's it's uh uh you know difficult, emotional. The um, the best thing I think that I could suggest is you need to be looking real closely right over the shoulder of that lawyer and you know tell the lawyer you know hey you're being paid, right? But you don't file anything with the court without us knowing what it is. And having a chance to review it before you file it. Right. And when something is filed into the case, we are to get a copy of it within 48 hours. Right. You know, you can copy it and uh, scan a, a copy and send it to us so that we can see what's been filed into the case. This way, you have a chance to see what's going on. And if you see that a lawyer is doing something stupid, or if you told them that's a condition of you know you uh, having retained them that if they're not doing that that then you can uh, put them on the hook for uh, uh, potentially for screwing up because believe me you've heard if you've been on these calls very long you've heard 
plenty of stories from people about retaining attorneys that absolutely just did not work in their best interest at all. Right. Yes, no. and attor- attorneys that, you know, people have told them not to do certain things and the attorney goes ahead and does it anyways and screws up and, and makes them lose. So I would tell them directly up front, and excuse me for saying this on your show, Dave, but, you know, if you fuck up, I'm going to sue you. I have no problem suing right. attorneys. You're working for me. You, if you don't do it my way, if you screw up, I'm going to sue you, and I'm going to go for your license. Right. And some of them will drop you for for saying that. And they're the ones you don't want anyway. Exactly. No, exactly. Because they're going to no. screw. They're going to screw up if they're. That's your sorting mechanism. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely. Yeah. 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 Attorney, they're gonna, They're not going to mind you um, watching them that close. No, and I totally feel that way. It's just that my, you know, my wife kind of got spooked, and uh, she, I, like I said, I've been doing all the research, and I guess we'll get into it. And uh, she, she was on board. She saw all the work I was doing, and, and she overheard some of the calls and the things. I, I mean, not to toot my own horn or to give myself credit or whatever, but I don't think there's been anybody. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm proven in the forum. I, I've been listening to more webinars and more i've been i i sit and i'm listening to phone calls i've been listening to two three webinars literally since march of last year i've been trying to do as much work as i can you know for whatever that means or for whatever that's worth well good and you, i mean that's what just, people right. need to do i i've been nonstop at it every day and when you know like right now knowing what i know it, it, it's Oh man, you almost you know you, you're like in a uh, it's uh, what's the word I'm looking for the conspiracy. The conspiracy is like real life what everybody's living in. What we know is the truth. It's hard to d- differentiate between the truth and the lie and uh, the matrix world and whatever. And all of a sudden now this is happening, and she just freaked out, and she went after the attorney. And I told her it's, it's it's not the right thing to do. We know what we know. I I I, I have the information. I have the support. And she wants to do it. I said, I'm telling you, the lawyer is not going to do the right thing. And it's, it, you know, but so, well, and I well, know you guys now, talk about being on the same page, husband and wife, but I, I, I don't know what to do. And I, well, no, that, that isn't always how it works. Take it from me. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, that can be a very difficult situation because, um, you know, you're, there's two different personalities. Um, you know more than she does. And she doesn't have the confidence because, in in you know, partially because she doesn't have the knowledge you have. Okay, right. she hasn't studied. It's understandable. Right, it's right. understandable. Right. It is what and it I, is. Right. But and that's I told why. Her that, right? Yeah, that's why you you've got to uh, try and get her on board. Look, you know, we're going to tell the attorney. Okay, you got an attorney. That's fine. But the attorney. Uh, is going to listen to us, and he's going to, or she, whatever it is, uh, is going to pay attention, and they're not going to do anything unless we approve it first. They're not just somebody that we hire, and then we just sit back and they do everything. Oh, no, 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 no. That can't be it, because, you know, experience out here shows you most lawyers are crooks. And that, they, you, you right. have to remember, you have no, to remember, don't well, don't well, you, you have to remember one very, very important thing. A lawyer gets paid whether they win or not. Right. It's billable. But you don't. Right. That's right. So that's why you 
have to oversee it and know what they're doing and approve what they're doing. And if they right. don't want to do that, you got the wrong lawyer. And you better jettison them real quick. Right. No, yeah, I'm afraid she's going to want, she wants to do a law. Like, it's, again, going back to the, when when you're out in the real world and you deal with everyday people and she just wants, like, this to all go away. She wants to just get a loan mod. Oh, she wants it to be simple and easy like everybody else in America instead of stand up and fight for your rights. She thinks it's going to, well, she, I mean, I, t- I have two kids, um, and she just, you know, she's like, I can't believe you did it. I, I, you know, it, it, very difficult, very difficult uh, to talk about, too. Yeah. Um, well, I don't envy you um, because uh, these these kind of situations, I mean, uh, they they can uh, they can have, devastate families. And you have literally, to realize your, your wife families. is coming from a place of fear, and right. that's not that's not a comfortable place to be. And it's not a good place to be. No, it's a horrible place to be. But that's where she is, and that's where all the comments that you've just made um, about where she's at tells me she is in a really, really desperate place of fear. She's not thinking with common sense and and um, the ability that she really has to think things through because she's, she's, in, that, she's right. in that fear. Right, right. Mm-hmm. No, and I agree. You know, and I, like I said, she she was on board for whatever reason. Now she's not. Uh, you know, and like I said, I'm looking at the two bogus assignments. They have all the same addresses. They're they're all robo signed. I mean, I'm picking apart the complaint as far as there's certain language in the New York. I, I I'm doing That's all the stuff that you've got. That to, right. You've got to go over that with that attorney, as long as that attorney is your faceplate now. Right, and I'm trying to just tell her, just take two seconds to, but anyway, okay, that's that's something else. Okay, I have, okay, one last thing here, Um, (laughs) which... Yeah, before you go on to something else, I, I would just say, if I were you in this particular situation here, um, I think... I would do what Dave just suggested and I would get together with that attorney and work with the attorney. Let your wife have the comfort of that so that she's not going to be so mired in the fear. She will have more confidence, you know, in what you're doing and what you know if she sees you working with that with this attorney, but that doesn't mean you can't do just what Dave said and John said, lay the law down with that attorney. Okay, she wants you involved. We are going to work together, and this is how it's going to be. Right. Give her the comfort of it, but remember, you drive the bus. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, okay, this is the last thing now here. Um, I'm preparing my motion to dismiss. Now, as, as far as as far as I understand it, as far as my ability to read and understand the English language, um, when you do a motion in, in New York, and uh, I, I don't know if you remember, I, I went into a credit card case. Uh, there's a judgment against me, and I, I tried to get it. Um, not remissed is not the right word, but um, 
overturned. But I, the re, part of the reason why I did it is in, in anticipation of, of, of fighting this mortgage and, and getting familiar with the court system and, and things like that. Now, so when you do a motion in New York, the motion itself, um, you actually have to state that it's it's call, almost like you're calling for here. I always hear you guys say, like I hear Jesse say, you got to call for hearing. You got to call for hearing. But when you do the motion, the first page, the page with the motion, uh, whatever it is, a motion to dismiss, you actually say, please take notice that the uh, defendant or a plaintiff, whoever it is, on a such and such date at the address of the court in the part and the room. That is that that is the actual motion, and then. There's an affidavit in support of that motion explaining why the motion should be granted. Um, well, it's not an affidavit doesn't explain anything. An affidavit is a statement of fact. Right. You may be talking about a memorandum. Well, I, okay. In, uh, I see that also in addition to if I look in the rules, I don't have it in front of me right now. It it it, it actually. It contradicts what you just said, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but in the New York, it says the affidavit in support, they actually give you the forms. Like if you go on the website, the New York court's website, it gives you the motion to renew, and it's actually like you have to call it for hearing. You have to give it a date, and certain motions are, are heard on certain dates, days of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to give it a time. Uh, they, they, you know, they'll they'll right. tell you some of that. right? So that's the motion. That's it. The motion is just that... Um, and, and, and you know you could put a law and what it's referring to, um, and then and then it tells you to do an affidavit in support. And then if you need additional, I've seen it where it says memorandum, but I've done it with the credit card thing. You do the the, the motion, um, whatever the motion is, and it's it's calling it for hearing, in you know in writing, and then the affidavit in support explaining wh- why the motion should be granted. That's how they. That's the format. In, in New York, whether you want, I mean, to, to get to my next point, um, whether you get the memory now, okay, they granted me time till July 29th. Uh, I stipulated to answer. I have, I have till sub, um, uh, 729, July 29th. Now, do I have to, my question is, I, I, do I have to call this up for hearing by the 29th? Or like my motion to dismiss, or do I just file this in there and then I could call it like 30 days later, would that be something in my rules to check? I, I'm not you sure. Need to, you need to ask your clerk at the court. Okay. In a recent because conversation. They, well, uh, well, okay. It's a, I, that's I a procedural question. Right, right, right. Now, the difference between an order to show cause and a motion, again, from what I understand, and, and in the New York system, they're, they're similar. One, they both, you could do an order to show cause if you want, or you could do a motion for whatever it is. You could do an order to show cause to dismiss, or you could do a motion to dismiss. You could do an, you know, any motion that you could do, you can also do it in an order to show cause. The difference, from what I understand, the order to show cause is ex parte. It goes right in front of the judge, and the judge has to sign off on it, as opposed to a, a motion. They, they, it has to be called for hearing, and then you, you, it's granted. Um, so w- would... Would a would a um, I, I I forgot where I was going with that. Um, but the order to show cause, I also heard someone say to also always do a motion because the order to show cause, and this may be a little abstract thinking. The order to show cause is on the court's time, 
and the the motion it, it becomes your court. I heard that on I don't know some YouTube. Oh, okay. Video. Now let me let me make a comment about what you just said there. Okay. Uh, that's very true. Okay. Because when it's ex parte, the court takes it up whenever it wants to, whether it be real quick or real late. And you don't have any idea when it is because the court isn't going to tell you until afterwards. Okay, no, I know where okay. I was going with that. Okay, so okay. Well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Okay. Let me finish my thought here and what I'm going to say. The, the other part of it is if it goes ex parte before the court, you never get a chance to argue or say anything. It okay. just goes before the court. And the court looks at it, and they're going to make their ruling on it. If it's a motion and you've got to set it for hearing, you have an opportunity to go in and make your arguments for your case. There's a distinct difference between the two, obviously. Okay, and maybe there's something to that. I know what I was going because you asked me if I talked to the clerk, and I did talk to the clerk, and the clerk said, if you do, I asked him about him. Here we go again with like, uh, you go out into the real world and it's like they have no idea. They're like, you want to do a motion to what? A motion because they just want you like to go into conference and they want you to negotiate uh, a loan mod. That's like almost okay. like what it's set up to do. So he told me that if I do a motion, any motion, it's going to take years before the motion is they could even schedule it. <laughs> That's what he told. Me. Okay, uh, which is fine by me. I, uh, I, I was just point. gonna say that you don't want to be in a hurry, do you? Right, no, right, uh, right. And so he says, "Well, you might want to do an order to show cause." And I'm thinking, "No, I don't want to do an order to show cause." I'll well, he doesn't. He doesn't understand your mindset in it. He, right. He's coming from the mindset that you probably want things heard right away, so you can get a decision on it. Which right. obviously, when you're dealing with a foreclosure situation, is as far from the truth as you right. want to be. Yeah, oh, kicking right. that's the one time when kicking a can down the road is desirable. Exactly. Right. So I, I I wasn't sure if there's any any other information as opposed to an order show cause or motion um, but but that well did uh, you ask you know when you get these kind of things you got you got to ask a question of the clerk you know when you got two different things like that okay what's the advantage uh, uh, you know, what's the difference between this one and this one? You know, and then if you fully understand it, then you can make an assessment. But just like we just discussed there, and you had already kind of figured out mm -hmm. uh, that he said, well, you know, you probably want to do a motion because, you know, you can get it heard quicker. Well, you know, he doesn't understand your mindset, but at least you understand what one does versus the other one for you or against you, depending on what you use. Dave, let me ask a question. Yeah. Have, have you been down to the courthouse and seen if they have a self-service center? In, in, the, in this, the foreclosure case, I haven't. In the credit card case, I went down there, and it was like a joke. It was like I, I spoke to the, they have a, uh, uh, an attorney. Uh, uh, Pay 15 bucks to, to ask questions or whatever, right? Yeah, and it was, it was like in, in nothing – Nothing compared to the knowledge that they, they don't know nothing about this, or, or if they do, they try to pretend like they don't. Um, they, you they, mean they as far as foreclosure? Well, the foreclosure. Or, 
I haven't been they, I, I, I haven't been to the courthouse yet to, to the self-help center, not for the foreclosure. Okay, okay. To, no, but I mean, when you went to ask a question, you were asking about the debt collection lawsuit or whatever, right? As, as far as what I asked the clerk on the phone? No, the self-service center attorney. Oh, the self-service atten- attorney, that was, due, that was a judgment in the credit card in the small claims court. Or, yeah. In a set, you in a asked court. post-judgment is or pre-judgment? The, that's, it's post-judgment. It was okay, post-judgment. yeah, they're not going to give you anything there. Here's where they're useful. If you went down there and asked them what the procedure is, spend the 15, 20 bucks, ask them what the procedure is for making a motion and setting a motion for hearing and all the rest, just to find out the procedure in that court. That they will definitely know. And you could find out, for example, where I am, if I file a motion, it will sit there forever. And the court can go ahead and rule on something else, and my motion's never heard. I have to set that motion for hearing. So I file my motion. I call the judicial assistant in the judge's chambers. I tell them that I have I filed the motion. I need, you know, I dropped off a courtesy copy at chambers. I need to set this for hearing. And then they'll probably say, how long do you need for, how much time do you need for the hearing? And that's a question right there, because if it's less than than five minutes, it can go on the uniform motions calendar, which is one or two days a week at a set time in the morning, and you show up and they call case after case after case. And if you're there and the other party's there, they're going to hear it. If the other party doesn't show up, they can either set it aside for another time or default it to you. to to let the motion go the way you want it. If you need more than that amount of time, then it's going to get on the judge's regular calendar. And that's where the judicial assistant's going to, you know, can I have three dates? And they're going to go, yeah, we can give you July 27th at at 10 a.m., August 3rd at 2 p.m., or September 1st, you know, and you you pick an outside date. And then you're supposed to confer with the other side to find out which date works for their schedule. If you can't reach them, you just pick a date, you set you set it for hearing. And that's when you go ahead and you file the motion for hearing. Because then it's on the record that, you know, I contacted a judicial assistant, I made a good faith attempt to, to contact opposing counsel, this won't prejudice anyone, it's set 14 days or more in advance, and boom, it's on this date to hear this motion or any other motion that's on the on the docket. Because once you get a time... For, for a motions hearing, the other side will probably throw some other stuff to get their motions heard too. But what you can do when you get close to that date is you can have a conflict and reset the date of the motion hearing. So you can kick the can down the road further, okay, which is probably what you'd like to do. But if you spent the money and asked the, the rental lawyer there the specific questions on how to get your how to set a mo- how to file a motion, set a motion, get it set for hearing, and how what to do if you need to extend the amount of time after the fact to reset the you know what's required for that. They'll answer that question. Okay. That's well worth that's well worth the money, especially for someone that's in the courthouse. All right, I will definitely give it a shot. Yeah, because um. Like I said, I don't know if I'm repeating myself and not to contradict you, but 
um, in, in New York, like I said, in New York, you have to, and it may just be different from where I am in you, they won't accept it. Even in the credit card case, which I did it right in the clerk's office, you know, person to person, they won't accept it unless you call it for hearing. And the same thing right now with the, with the foreclosure case I'm doing through e-file. I did the notice for enlargement of time, um, kind of like the sample, how we have it on the website, without calling it for hearing, and they they kicked it back. They won't accept it unless you call it for hearing. You ha- you cannot file a motion. Well, that's actually good. Hearing. They're helping people out. Yeah, they're simplifying <laughs> things. They're simplifying things because when you look at one of these motions, if you want to get more technical, there's there's a notice of motion, there's a motion, and there's a memorandum of law. No and motion. pretty much all of that is combined into what we're talking about as being a motion. Uh, notice okay. a motion just is noticing the court and the other side that you're submitting a motion. Right. The motion is what you're asking for. Right. You know? And then and then the memorandum of law is how you're justifying it. So the other side can come back with their response in opposition and you can put in a reply. Well, okay. But but for us for us to get it on the calendar, we have to we have to motion for hearing. We have to motion the court for a hearing. The, just because it's on the docket doesn't mean the court has to hear it. The court might not want to hear it. The court could be corrupt and just want to wave the magic wand and make stuff go away. So you have to motion for a hearing to make the hearing happen where I am. On top of the notice to, of motion, or is, is that the same thing? No. We just have a motion which combines the notice, the motion, and the memorandum of law. And then you file a separate motion for hearing. It's a separate motion to hear a motion that's on the docket. Okay, okay. All right, that's where where my confusion was. That's what Jesse is always talking about. You get a motion for hearing. Have you been through jurisdictionary? I... I, I've been in the website. I, I, I haven't paid for it, no, to answer your question directly. It's I take this so, if you're going to be in the rinky-dink state court, it is one of the best investments that you can spend, and it's cheap. It really yes, is. It's cheap. well worth the investment, believe me. Because it, it, doesn't, it, it does and it doesn't apply to federal court, but it really applies to state court. It really, whether you're in small claims, county court, civil court, whatever you're in, it really applies, right. and it will make a, it will all make a lot more sense. And it tells you how to control and handle the court. And it's and it's written by a lawyer. It's it's put together by a practicing attorney, and um, he even does, yeah, he even does ghost work for people if you want to pay him the rate, or he does consultations right. too. But it 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 it's gonna because you're asking procedural stuff. It's gonna make your life. It, it it's going to be like putting on color sunglasses and right. from black and white to 3D. All right. Okay. Well, we're going to have to move on, guys. Uh, we're yeah. actually past time, and I've got two other people with their hands up, and I want to catch Sorry, those Dave. people before we wrap up. So okay. hopefully Thanks, we've uh, given you some input on helping you with things. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. You're welcome. And then, of course, you know, if you've got any additional questions, uh, Terry's call is Wednesday night as well. And then we we actually have an open call tomorrow night again. We we you know we don't have as much time on the uh, Tuesday night calls, but there's more again. All right, guys. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. You too.
Okay, we're going to go to It's a Sham. Hey, Dave, what do you, how are what you? Do you got? You well, got some um, discovery stuff you want to talk about. I know that. Yeah. See, oh, I, yeah. I have mental telepathy, everybody. <laughs> hey, He's um, got mental something. Yeah. <laughs> mental illness. <laughs> I I just got a question. I have a reason for asking this question. Well, um, oh, good. I'm going to refer... I'm gonna refer to my defendant as D U M um because that's what they are. D U M B dumb? Yeah, B. Yeah, well yeah. Yeah. Dumb dumb. <laughs> and here's the question. This is gonna be an interrogatory. It's called please identify all efforts you made to determine the owner of the telephone number then I put my telephone number in there before you begin to placing calls after November sixteenth, two thousand fourteen. All right, um, their answer is upon it, uh, let me see, upon entry of a protective order uh, to protect the confidentiality of its documents, defendant will produce a document entitled DUMB Skip Scrub Process. The phone number, yeah, the phone number is not matched to a person. That type of procedure does not exist in any reasonable, affordable version at this time. TLO Newstar is validating the source of the number in each instance, cellular, landline, VOIP, ETC, but they do not validate ownership. Defendant receives consent from the creditor to dial numbers provided by the creditor. And then the final sentence says, defendant has no way of knowing that a phone number may have been purported or reassigned to a different individual. The defendant should have. <laughs> now, Dave, question for you. Did he answer my question? I don't think he did. I don't think they did. Because the question was, identify all efforts you made to determine the owner of the telephone number before you began placing the calls on after November 16th. What they're doing is they're saying, okay, this is going to be our process. No, the question that I said, what did you do to see that if my num- my phone number was uh, w- was the owner before you began placing the calls? Does that, does that make any sense? Well, it... they're describing I... the procedure in general, but my 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 question is more pointed to what did you? You do? asked specifically what they did, right. not the general uh, operation of the software and the company that uses it. Right. I have a reason for asking that, but go ahead, Dave. What do you think? Well, I was just going to say they didn't specifically uh, outline the efforts. You know, we did this, this, and utilizing this, we did that. Yeah, what they said was what somebody else does, and that's not what you asked them. Right, so so their definite answer is defendant has no way of knowing that a phone number may have been purported or reassigned to a different individual. Well, there there are services and softwares they could have obtained that would give them that information, so that's not that's not valid, right, Dave? Well, they can't, uh, they, I don't think they can tell whether something has been um, uh, reassigned. 
Okay. So they can well, you can you can find out if it's been given up. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily. I don't know that they have a source out there to say that something has has been reassigned. They can tell you whether a number is a cell phone or a landline. They right. can find out what what cellular company the number belongs to, and uh, I think they could couldn't they contact that company and inquire if that number still belongs to so and so. Here's here's what they can do, and I can tell you from my personal experience. Okay, they have access to LexisNexis, okay, which, which would tell. Um, a lot of times when, when you search LexisNexis, uh, it would say if the phone number has been disconnected or it's been reassigned because another person that's probably doing the same search reports it that way. Uh-huh. Another thing is, uh, uh, yeah, believe it or not, they can. Uh, another thing they can do is uh, they can send the debtor an email to uh, see if their information is correct. Um, that came from the FCC. And another thing from the FCC says that they can make one, um, like, for example, a um, manual call to see if the voicemail has been changed, you know, if it has somebody else's name on it. I mean, they right. can do a number of things. So wouldn't uh, that blow the argument out of the water, Dave? What argument do you mean? That well, they, they, had ne- they had, you know, they couldn't do anything. They have no, well, no they, yeah, they, they. That's not correct. Okay, so so my my assumption is 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 I'm going in, in a different direction, right? Yeah, but why why is this? Why do you think this is critical to your case? Because um, when it comes to trouble damages, you want to see what they did prior to calling the phone number, and I want to see if I can find so willfully that they didn't do anything. All they did is carelessly just call um, the cell phone without even investigating to see if the number belongs to that person that they're trying to look for because they've had a past. uh, They have had a history in the past uh, ruling against them. What do you mean ruling against them? What are you talking about? I'm talking about the uh, the case that came back on the uh, what was it at the Seventh Circuit or Sixth Circuit, where they got hammered by because the number was was reassigned to another person, and they were trying to make a you know saying that they're not liable for it. Well, that, that's not even an issue. I mean, if uh, when a number is reassigned, if they call it, um, they're on the hook because it's a strict liability statute. After right. that one call, they've got they one, get one call f- to they find got, out. Right. Since July 10th of last year, they have the one call safe harbor. <laughs> and how they utilize that, that's up to them. Right. Okay. Um, I was just trying to get willfully, you know, trying to tie, uh, try, trying to put them there saying that um, what I'm trying to say is, okay, they did nothing. They, they, well, they, they took no reasonable precautions to avoid the violation. And that yeah. is well, correct. Yeah. Now you've got quite a few calls at issue there. Fifty-two. Yeah. Okay. I think that from everything that I've seen, in large part, not always, not always, but in large part, the uh, number of calls is going to play very large in whether something was knowing or willful. 
Okay. Now, some of that other detailed stuff, eh, I don't I don't know if that's a, a consideration, especially with, uh, if I'm not mistaken, your situation was uh, numerous times you answered and told them to quit calling you. Right, and then I was okay. greeted by a machine, but it doesn't right. matter. Right. Like, well, and it was it's it, it's it's no it's willful. I mean, there's no question it's willful. Yep. But the 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 court has a discretion of whether they want to have, uh, assess treble damages or not. Yeah. And, and, and the, the only the, yeah. Well, it's it's the same old thing, you know. Look, I kept answering the phone. There was never anybody there. I I said, you know, quit calling this number or quit calling this phone. I I said that, you know, you know, thirty six times or or whatever like that. You know, uh, if there had been a live person on the line uh, instead of a robo dialed call, somebody would have heard me say that. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, do you, do they have recordings of their calls? Actually, no, they don't. <laughs> I, I asked for them. They say they don't have the recordings of the calls. Yeah, but I do. Well, <laughs> well, okay. And see, you can utilize that stuff. They don't have recordings, but you can. Uh, you've got the recordings, and you can provide that to the uh, the court and show. Look, you know, they they kept calling me. There was never anybody on the phone, and I kept getting these messages. And I and I said, quit calling this number. Quit calling this phone. If there had ever been a live person, they would have heard me. Now, evidently, either there was nobody there or they ignored me. But if that isn't willful, I don't know what is. Okay. This is what you know. How you want to argue it, I believe. I pretty much got most of it done. Uh, it's, it's just trying to, trying to. Um, I, I'm, I guess I'm trying to climb an ant hole. What is it? A, a mountain on an ant hole or something? Well, well, make a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're trying to make it too difficult. You got a very, you got a very clear cut case in my view. You and I have discussed it. So, don't. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm glad you're you know trying to think outside the box and stuff, but you uh, uh, don't don't overdo yourself trying to make a lot of work. And mm-hmm. I I don't think I I don't think I would go uh, go to the court uh, with something like that in a motion to compel or anything. No 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 I I think I think that's been answered. So I I think yeah. I, I, I'm not gonna. And my, my my other question was, uh, you said something about a number, numerology, or what was it? Numer, you said a word a while back when I was talking to you, when you have so many calls, uh, it, it's going to play a factor into willfully. Well, it's the the how the sheer number, just the sheer number, the numerosity. Numerosity. There you go. Numerology. <laughs> Num, numerosity. Of the calls, oh, so Google that number, or I mean that that word. Go Google the number. Yeah, the term. Go, go read it. Learn about it. Absolutely. I think that's that's it for and me. For everybody out there, anytime you hear something or read something, you don't know what it is. Don't go. Oh, I don't know what that means. Stop. Take a moment. Go open a browser and and Google it and learn about it. It's amazing. Some of these. Interesting things you can learn. It's like, oh, I never knew that meant that. I do that all the time. 
Well, I, I got the final thing to tell you guys. Uh, I know I've talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, me getting that thing from Wells Fargo, I got a judgment from Wells Fargo. And um, I, I didn't tell the, the whole story, but uh, we I, I thought a deck, uh, actually a debt collection company and, and a local attorney, Jenkins, and primary financial services uh, lasted four years and lost the whole thing from day one. And... Um, I got a letter from Wells Fargo saying that they were going to um, avoid my, not actually do uh, a satisfaction of judgment, um, but they really don't give a specific reason. And um, what was it, last week, I got a letter from Jenkins uh, that they uh, satisfied the judgment. The attorney, the, yeah, that they, they yeah. filed a satisfaction of judgment in the court. I, I wasn't expecting it from Jenkins. I was expecting it from from the uh, Wells Fargo like Oh, oh no, yeah, you're going to get that from Jenkins cuz he was the faceplate representing them. Yep. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to be a uh, what is it called a fly on the wall. Fly on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when he signed that thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, hey. You got it. So, I wiped out the judgment and And how much did you pay on that judgment? Not a dime. Thank you. <laughs> We we I'll tell you what we gave them hell. I mean the the law firm uh, what is it uh, dissolved? And yeah, the, I, I, uh, the two lawyers and the law firm split. And, and I think and that had something. To, I think your case had something to do with it. Probably, and then the uh, collection agency. Uh, I think they dissolved too. But that they were they were acquired. Law. Yeah. Consolidation. Absolutely. Yeah, they were acquired by a Canadian company. Oh, well, that's pretty much all I got, guys. I appreciate all your help. Okay, you're welcome. Have a good evening. All right, you too. Okay. All right, we're going to go. we got one more caller here, and we're running way late tonight. We're going to go to Tommy Bow. You are up to bat. Go ahead. The numerosity was an absolute atrocity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> anyway, uh... This is a true or false question. Pursuant to FDCPA, an assignment in default creates the status of an unsecured debt collector. Yeah, any any uh, person who uh, acquires the right to collect a debt when the debt is in default is by law a debt collector. Okay. Except, except when it's a bank absorbing another bank and their principal purpose of business is not debt collection but uh, credit lending and, and so on and so forth. Unless there is a separate subsidiary that does nothing but collection on the bad debts they acquire. Okay. Well, this was a trust. Uh, what do you mean a trust? It, this was an assignment of a uh, a mortgage that was in default, and um, it was assigned to a trust to to uh, file the foreclosure action on on the uh, on the mortgage. Well, they're a debt collector, right? 
But isn't they aren't they unsecured when they when they uh, buy a, a defaulted debt? That's they can't they can't like foreclose on a house, can they? I don't know what you mean by aren't they're unsecured. Well, because because everything that a debt collector is is, is just they're just a third party debt collector. They're not they can't. There's no they're not a party of interest. <laughs> Uh, and they don't have an interest in the security. They can be a party in interest. Yeah. Yes, a debt collector can be a party in interest. Absolutely. Well, only a creditor can foreclose, can't they? Only a lender. No. Can no, that's not true. No. No. You know, the originator can uh, be a creditor, or is a creditor. Okay, but. Mm-hmm. Somewhere down the line, somebody can acquire the interest in the indebtedness. If they uh, acquire that at a time that it's in default, then they do not have creditor status. Okay. They are they are a debt collector. Okay. Well, at the time that the debt was assigned to the party that assigned this debt to this trust, the originating lender had already been out of business like two years prior and then supposedly you know this out of business company uh assigned you know gave authorization to MERS to assign the debt to that party yeah well that's that doesn't have anything to do that type of stuff doesn't have anything to do with whether somebody's a debt collector or not right so uh, yeah yeah i'm just i've been foreclosed on so you know i have to you know, put everything together to, you know, show the defective assignments prior to this current holder of the debt because they're they're all defective. You know, I just got to put it all together in my hand. Okay. Well, does that answer your questions for you? Yeah, thanks. Okay. You're very welcome. Thank you. All right. Everybody, we ran somewhat late tonight. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for joining us tonight. Uh, Tomorrow night is uh, the open call. That's associated with the website. It's on blogtalkradio.com forward slash W-L-I-Y-D. And And that starts at... Dave, and while you're saying that, I just got an email and I don't remember... What do you do to raise your hand on that call? Uh, that is uh, the one key. The one key. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, we'll, uh, I'll announce that tomorrow night on the call, obviously. But um, anyway, that starts at 8 o'clock Eastern time. And, of course, if you want to find Jesse's website where all this information is that uh, we talk about and where you can educate yourself, what you want to do is open a browser and type in Knock Out Collectors, and that's K-N-O-C-K Out Collectors, T-O-R-S, dot net. Don't do, don't do a search for it. Just type that into your browser. That will take you right to Jesse's site, and you can uh, join for a dollar. You know, websites aren't for free. It takes, you know, it's a full-time uh, webmaster and everybody else uh, – that works on that, uh, or I shouldn't say everybody else. We all work for free, but the webmaster doesn't. That's that's his job. He's full-time help. But um, 
it's a dollar for the first week, and and then uh, it's forty nine dollars a month for as long as you want to be a member. Uh, it's very inexpensive, and there's two IP addresses per membership, and we have people that share memberships, so it literally gets you down to twenty four fifty a month. And we know some people are real tight on dollars out there, so that becomes a part of it. Uh, if you have a uh, a need to share a membership. Terry is the one that coordinates that, and you send her an email at queensongbird at gmail dot com, and just indicate that you're interested in sharing a membership with somebody. But uh, uh, anyway, that's tomorrow night's call. Then, of course, on Wednesday afternoon, there's a webinar for the members. If you're not a member, you're not going to be able to participate in that one. Then Wednesday night is Terry's call, and that's it. East at eight o'clock Eastern time, and again, Queen Songbird at Gmail dot com. If you're not on her email list to uh, get the reminders, uh, get your email out to Terry right away. Say please put me on the list. Don't wait; you won't get the reminder. But uh, there's lots of help. But you have to do the work yourself. We don't do it for you. We'll help look over your shoulder a little bit and and what you're doing. You can ask questions, and that's our whole function of being here. Again, thanks to everybody. Thank you, uh, uh, John and Terry, for uh, joining me tonight. hope everybody has a great evening, and I'm going to go visit the pillow. It is tired in Dallas, Texas. Good night, everybody. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.